You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here is your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hi there. Welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast again. Great to have you on board this week. And um, I know we've been talking the last couple of weeks about Dave and I getting on sync and him being out of town. But this time, um, actually, I had to step away. I'm not able to be on our with on the podcast with our guest this week. Our guest is David Lamb, and he's written a book on the emotions of God. So a thought-provoking title. But the reason we had to step away, my wife, she was in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, where her grandfather just passed away earlier uh, this week. And so anyways, a bit of a tough time, obviously, for our family. But then I was at home with the three kids and uh, just didn't make recording a podcast very doable. And so David stepped in, took care of this and did a great job with David Lamb. And so, again, big topic, because when we talk about emotions, sometimes people look at emotions and say, oh, you know, uh, yeah, you know, don't think about emotions, right? Just think about facts, deal with facts, and emotions are fickle, and so don't worry about that. But David Lamb has a fresh approach that I think you're going to appreciate in this conversation. So without any further ado, uh, let's go ahead and get into this conversation that David Harkoff had with David Lamb. Welcome back to the Monday Christian. Today we are joined by Dr. David Lamb. Uh, David is a professor of Old Testament and dean of faculty at Missio Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He has previously worked in campus ministry context with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and has taught extensively in many cross-cultural contexts. He is the author of several books, the most recent of which we are going to chat about a bit today, called The Emotions of God. And it's a pleasure to welcome David Lamb to the Monday Christian Podcast. Welcome, David. Thank you, Dave. It's my pleasure to join you today. So uh, we ask this uh, to all our guests, but how did you come to faith in Christ? What's a little bit about your background? Give us a little uh, snapshot into your growing up years. Certainly. Um, well, my I grew up going to church um, and, um, you know, went to Sunday school Um uh, when I was eight years old, I went to camp and the speaker was talking about hell and I didn't want to go to hell. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was a little bit of a kind of a turn or burn kind of thing. And, you know, I'm not, yeah. you know, it's not the sort of thing I would probably recommend for youth, but you know what? It worked. It worked for me. I raised my hand. Uh, yeah. Here my Lord. And, um, you know, pray to prayer. Um, and then, you know, as I went through you know, my adolescent years kind of struggled in various ways, but really when I went off to college and I got involved in InterVarsity, my parents did a great job of giving me a foundation of faith. But when I went off to college, I felt like I, I kind of met Jesus, fell in love with the Jesus that I saw in the Gospels, and I had kind of a recommitment um, my freshman year in college. Were you in a, a secular environment or were you in a Christian college or what was that like? I, I, yeah, I, I went, uh, yeah, I went to Stanford and I was involved with the Stanford InterVarsity chapter and it was phenomenal. And so, yeah, it was very, very secular. Uh, I lived in a fraternity for a couple of years, so that was kind of uber secular in some ways. Uh, but yeah, had a great time and um, 
made a lot of great friends in the context of the InterVarsity chapter that I was involved with. Oh, that's great. How did how did you end up at Stanford? Where did you where did you grow up? I grew up um, well. I, I, I to tell people I was born in Kentucky, um, moved to Illinois when I was one. Uh, lived there long enough to become a Cubs fan, so the, the, huh. the curse of being a Cubs uh. fan, um, and then um, moved to Iowa when I was eight. I was sorry, when I was five. Basically, I, I grew up in the Midwest, um, and then um, headed off to college um, uh, when I was eighteen. But yeah, I, I'm 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 a Midwest guy. A Midwest guy in California. What was that like? Was that like? Yeah, it was okay. You know, I I um. You know, I had the, the nice thing at, at, when I was at Stanford, we had friends. I had friends from all over the world, um, certainly all over the U.S. And, um, yeah, there were a few other. Actually, I went to, to, to school with a couple other two of my best friends from high school, from my high school. Um, and we kind of had this pod that kind of uh, shifted from Ames, Iowa to Palo Alto, California. But um, it was a. Uh, you know, it was a little bit of a shock moving to, you know, living in California, but um, I adapted and um, like made friends with InterVarsity and I, I love to play ultimate Frisbee. Um, okay. And you can do that year round in Palo Alto in Northern California, where we couldn't do that in Ames, Iowa. Yeah. So oftentimes uh, folks talk about college. Uh, we had someone on last week that was sort of talking about a, a sort of a deconstruction that happened in college. And then meeting up with some key people that started sort of like you, you mentioned this recommitment to faith. Um, why was, why was college a time for maybe putting deep roots down in Christ rather than a, a period where you kind of lose your way? What was, what was that? Were there any instrumental people, professors, um, yeah, somebody that mentored you? That's a great question. Um, it certainly wasn't my professors. Um, um, but it was um, older Christians that were involved in the fellowship. I mean, my older brother, uh, two years older than me, he, um, we went from being kind of rivals and arguing all the time growing up to being like friends. And he, he really kind of looked out for me um, in some deep ways. And I had some older friends um, that um, initiated with me. So when I was a freshman, they were juniors and sophomores. So it was really the investment of older Christians that were knew more about following Jesus than I did that really it was that investment in me um, and they they valued being with me. And not only, um, you know, I, I did sports with a lot of them, but also, um, you know, thinking about Jesus and following Jesus and in some pretty significant ways, they challenged me to take my relationship with Jesus more seriously. And I hadn't experienced that in high school. Um, certainly no one that I knew and valued and trusted kind of investing in me. And that that um, made a big impact. So did you always want to study theology, teach the Bible? How did, how did you end up in that career path? What did, what did that look like I mean, uh, I, I studied as an undergrad, I studied economics and then I went on and got a, a master's in engineering. And while Perfect. I was, while I was, yeah, exactly. So it's a total setup for ministry right there. <laughs> Econ engineering. Oh, and I taught computer science for three years. Two and a half oh, that's years. great. So um, I was really set up for a career in um, maybe um, the tech industry, you know, and this would have, I've been doing this in the early mid eighties. So that would have been a good time to get started. Um, but somewhere along the line, 
I just fell in love with the word of God. And um, even though, you know, I had this computer background, um, engineering background, I, I, it just, it wasn't as significant to me. And I, I loved teaching the Bible. And so when I graduated, I went on staff with InterVarsity, um, basically in Southern California, um, met, met my wife, and then we moved back East to go to, to work at Penn. But um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it's just, I love teaching the Bible. And one of the things people ask me about, because a lot of fine folks, when I found out I went to Stanford, I've got a master's, like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And I say, yeah, I, I often give a talk on how to waste a Stanford education. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, then they say, do you know, Dave, do you ever regret it? And I pause and I look kind of dramatic and I go, yeah, I regret it all the time. <laughs> When I look at my paycheck, <laughs> but you know what? Um, Jesus tells us that nobody that gives up whatever homes, houses, family, um, uh, lucrative careers for Jesus sake and the gospels will, will, you know, you're, you're, the investment in Jesus and his kingdom is always going to be worth it. Yes. And the, the dividends and payouts, um, maybe not as uh, financially lucrative, as maybe alter, some alternatives. And again, I have a lot of close friends that have gone in that direction as well. And I, God yeah. bless them for doing that. That wasn't God's call on my life. Yeah. And um, yeah, so um, there have been times when it's been tough, but um, I'm really glad for it. And I, again, I get to teach the Bible and yeah. it's, it's a privilege. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, Dave's work. It uh, the, the most recent writing of his that I was privileged to get a, a copy of was um, The Emotions of God. And so I was just curious. Um, and by the way, I do. Now that you talk about your background, I see a. Uh, so you're, you're writing about emotions and yet there's this precision in your writing, which totally makes sense with your background that I really appreciated uh, the, the clarity and the how thorough it was. Um, so talk to us a little bit about maybe like what. What kind of moved you? What was the impetus behind um, writing this book? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. Um, thanks, Dave. I um, I've always been an emotional person. Um, um, people, um, I would never say that I was. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are, you know, academics and professors who are. I've always been amazed at how articulate they are, and. Um, particularly in interviews or off the cuff, they've just, they can craft words in a way. And I always thought, I wish I could do that. Um, but one of the things that the students have always said about me um, is I'm passionate and I have a lot of energy and, and, and they get that I get excited about things. And so since I was young, I've always been rather passionate and I, and I, um, and emotional and I would, uh, when talking about certain things that are near and dear to me, I would, um, you know, weep. And at this point in time in my life, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but when I was younger and, you know, in certain cultures, particularly in kind of, you know, a lot of you know, male Christian or yeah. sort of macho Christian cultures, um, this kind of stuff may or may not be frowned upon, or it may not just it may seem weird, weird or unwelcome. So there's something I've kind of had to work through. But then as I read the Bible, 
I just thought, wow, the Bible talks about God and emotional language a lot more than I think most Christians think about. And we, we see an angry God and we see a loving God. Okay, great. But there's God is God's got more than two emotions. And, um, and as do I, as do all of us, um, we're, we're created in his image. And so it's just something that as I've been thinking about my own emotional life, emotional life and spiritual life and my own study of scripture, I've just realized this is something I want to think about and I hope it will be helpful to other people. And writing this book was, again, I tell people it's almost like therapy because I was reflecting on my family, my background, my relationships with my brothers, uh, my relationships with both my parents and, and some of my deepest friends. And I was reflecting on some of the ways that God met me, or sometimes it almost felt like God might have abandoned me, but um, and yet he was there. And as I'm connecting with my emotions, I connect to God in a way that I think a lot of us maybe don't think enough about. I, I appreciated some of the opening foray. Uh, for those of you that haven't read the book yet, I would encourage you to read it. Uh, the Emotions of God, it'll be linked uh, in the description on the podcast. But he kind of opens with this story about this uh, about the well-loved uh, Christmas carol, the Little Lord Jesus, No Crying He Makes. And yeah. uh, that line has always bothered me because it almost makes Jesus sort of less than human. And if you look at the rest of he's, as you point out, you know, he's the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. John eleven thirty five, 35, the verse we all love to memorize Jesus yeah. wept, right? Yeah. We have, we yeah. have him weeping over Jerusalem. Uh, we have the first Testament over and over talking about different emotions of God. And yet you, you said, you said this line, uh, and I want you to maybe, talk about it a bit. You said, we aren't comfortable with an emotional God. Why do you think that is? Because it looks like, from my observation at least, when you talk to folks, there there's like two ditches, right? It's like, we shouldn't have emotions. So even when you, you talked about love, there's a whole chapter on love here uh, in the book. Uh, love is a choice. You know, I, yeah. I tell that to students sometimes, choose your love, love your choice. Don't be ruled by your feelings, you know? So like, Amen. how dare, Amen. how, how dare you have these feelings, you know? Yeah. And then on the other yeah. hand, yeah, we have people that are just ruled by their emotions or yeah. even in their understanding. Well, God, God got angry. I'm like, yeah. Why? As you point out in the book, what made God angry? You know? Yeah. And so why are, why, why are people, why are we so uncomfortable with the idea that, that God is emotional. Yeah, and that's that's a complex question, um, and there's a lot of different ways we could talk about it. Um, I do think it does go back um, to kind of a philosophical framework that really eventually goes back to Plato. Um, Plato, the Greek philosopher, spoke about the unmoved mover, um, and you know, in his Platonic framework, um, you know the the prime mover was unmoved and um and I, I we see some legacies of this platonic thought um and again there, it's not like we can't learn from plato as as christians but um i'm i'm a little surprised at how deeply profoundly he plato affected um augustine who affect, affected aquinas who affects calvin and this goes on and again i have a lot to learn from um, well, uh, Augustine and Aquinas and Calvin, et cetera. And yes, um, but particularly when they're helping me <laughs> understand scripture. 
But I do think that there's a legacy in some of our denominations that has continued with this idea that God is not affected on some level. Um, impassable is how some theologians speak about it. I don't actually get into impassibility a lot because I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not primarily a theologian. I'm a Bible scholar. Um, um, I think a lot of theologians. Well, anyway, I, I won't go there. I got to be careful here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but um, but um, so I think there's there's kind of a, a philosophical framework that um, has been handed on to us, particularly those of us that might be coming from certain traditions, reformed traditions, perhaps. Um, but then I also think that, um, as you say, emotions are hard to control. And um, there's there's good emotions like compassion and love and, and maybe joy. Um, but then there's a lot of bad emotions, um, bad emotions. I put that in quotes because they're these are negative, negatively perceived emotions. Um, and the uh, trouble, troublingly, the Bible connects a number of these negative emotions to God, including hatred, um, wrath, and jealousy. And so there is just some, and we have to work to understand those, and that's hard. Um, and I think we all have felt, we've all done maybe dumb things when in a fit of emotion. Um, and, you know, I think for a lot of us, that might be anger. You know, that's... Um, and so we could talk about that. Yes, there is a downside to emotion. Um, now, interestingly, the God of the Bible is consistently spoken about as being slow to anger. Yes. <laughs> Unlike me, yeah. he gets there slow. He, he can, even anger for God can be controlled. And yet as, as, as image bearers of God and as followers of Jesus, we are also called to be slow to anger. Um, and I think some of what is compelling God's displays of emotions um, are good things. Yes. Um, and so I think it's good that God gets angry about injustice and oppression. Um, I think it's good that God gets jealous when his people, who like in the, in the case of the Exodus, whom he has delivered from hundreds of years of oppression, start worshiping this golden calf. You know, what's up with that? And for God to get jealous in that context is good because it means he values that relationship. Yes. Um, and so anyway, we're, we're, I'm trying to make sense of this. I understand we all have negative perceptions of emotions, mm -hmm. but, um, and, and there's a time in the place in, in the Bible where it's, it, these are viewed negatively. But again, the Bible often, and maybe some surprising ways, views God and God's displays of emotion very positively. Yes. I, 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 my, one of my questions I have written down here, if you read the first Testament, man, God seems angry, like a lot, like you said, like he manifests this anger. And, uh, I've seen folks that tend to get ticked, not in the spirit, righteously angry, whatever, whatever phrase you want to stack on there, but they'll say something like, well, Jesus threw tables over, you know, and I'll say, yeah, but why, why did he do that? Yeah. And I think that's, that's the next follow-up question that when, and oftentimes it's hard for us to see our motives, but if you look at some of the underlying motivations, you had a little table in there, but just, just to share with our audience, what were some of the reasons, what, what made God angry? What, what stirred up his wrath? You have two separate chapters. I know those are two separate things, but let's just maybe kind of 
slam those together and say, what, what kind of stuff caused God to be angry or, or full of wrath toward his people or others? Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, one of the things that was in some ways a little surprising to me is God is described as loving a lot, but God is also described as angry or wrathful a lot. In fact, almost about the same amount of times. Now it's again, it's a little bit subjective how you add up these these uses, but the the, the places where you know synonyms for wrath or anger are associated with God is about the same as kind of compassion and love. Um, and th so there's a lot. Um, there's a lot. I mean, I, I, I'm working. Um, I, I love to talk about this, this the book of Exodus because we see anger and wrath show up a number of places. But um, in, in in Exodus chapter four, God gets angry at Moses. Now Moses is um, God calls Moses to like go back and deliver you know your own people from Egyptian oppression. And Moses, you know, he kind of hems and haws and it's kind of endearing because he's like, well, you know, I'm not very worthy and who am I? And, you know, he asks all these questions and it's, it's kind of endearing for a while. But then we get to the later on in the in this narrative and God just gets mad because Moses, God wants to deliver his people and Moses is unwilling to help. And I'm not exactly sure why God gets angry there, but I think in this case, it's because his this person that he wants to use in a powerful way to deliver his people from hundreds of years of enslavement and oppression doesn't want to help. And there's a couple other places in the book of Exodus where um, God makes it clear that, well, Exodus 22, if his people don't help people who are marginalized, widows, orphans, foreigners, he's going to be really, really mad at them. And yeah. the punishments are going to are going to be severe. So um, I think the, the, the thing I see most often is um, God gets angry about um, people not wanting to help other people, uh, particularly yeah. people who are marginalized and oppressed. Um, yeah. and, and that gets my attention. Right. Because it's yeah. like, OK, this is something I need to pay attention to. You know, when Jesus got angry um, in in the New Testament, you know, and we could look at each of the different um, versions of the, the overturning of the tables. It's pretty clear that these people are using profit motive. You know, they've made you've taken the the uh, my father's house and made it into a den of robbers. Yeah. Um, it was meant to be a house of prayer for all the nations. It's pretty clear what they were doing is they were selling. Um, you know, they had the animals. Um, and then they were doing money changing in the court yeah. of the Gentiles. So Gentiles, these foreigners, were being prohibited from worshiping God. And that made Jesus really mad. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, different from the sorts of things that get me mad. But, yeah, there's more that could be said. But those are a couple examples. Yeah, I, I liked uh, the the chapter. I think you had a, um, a hate. Yeah, just uh, yeah. that that God told Israel, I hate your festivals. I hate your fast. Like all the stuff I told you to do is ticking me off because yeah. you're neglecting. And, and and you see some of these almost echoes in some of the conversations that he had with even the religious leaders, yeah. you know, you, you neglect weightier matters of the law and yet you're doing all of these things. And why aren't you doing? And so I actually, I had a situation the other day 
where uh, you probably saw it, a, a pretty prominent Western theologian kind of came out and said something pretty controversial that I thought was, man, pretty problematic. And he's got a lot of influence. Uh, it's pretty well read. And it made me really mad. It kind of ruined my afternoon. And um, I, yeah. in, I, I, I was sad about that. And then I thought, you know, uh, I think God wants me to be grieved or angry. Um, you talked about sorrow. Yeah, I, he wants me to be grieved by the things that grieve him, yeah. and uh, I'm I'm thankful that he is a God that is jealous for his people, and that he does experience sorrow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. any any thoughts on that? No, I think that's that's really good, and I I think um, I think the the thing I would want to tell people is. <laughs> The God of the Bible is deeply, profoundly emotional, and we are made in his image, so it shouldn't surprise us that we are deeply and profoundly emotional. Now, what we do with those emotions will not always be good. But, you know, for those of us that are embarrassed by our tears or, you know, oh, I'm just an emotional person. Um, and again, I don't want to go into too much. You know, I think I think there are some emotions that I think for a lot of men, um, anger is almost like more acceptable as emotion because it's an emotion of power. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, and again, traditionally, and again, you know, and I, again, I don't want to be overly stereotypical, but I think at least culturally, there's an acceptance about men being angry. Um, although, you know, women certainly can get angry as well. And then the, kind of the flip, you, you almost expect culturally for, for women to be more comfortable with um, sorrow or weeping and things like that. And that's not something that culturally maybe is ex as acceptable for men, again, depending on your culture and your tradition. But again, these are all emotions that we see attributed to the God of the universe, the God of the Bible. And, um, and I think, um, I mean, it does, it just kind of breaks my heart because, you know, a therapist would tell you, Honest expressions of emotion are healthy. And um, when people can say, and you look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he talks about his emotions. Yes. And there's a there's a healthiness to that that I think um there's a lot of I mean, again, and you know, it kind of depends on your your denomination and your tradition, but there's a lot of traditions and at least I've been uh, familiar with on some level where pastors don't feel comfortable talking about their emotions from the pulpit. But yeah. when you do that, you can model something like this is okay because we see it in the Bible. We see Jesus in the new Testament. We see Yahweh in the old Testament yes. and we see his faithful people. Um, Joseph in, in the book of Genesis, Joseph yeah. Weeping, raised more right? than anybody perhaps in the Bible. Um, yeah. And Joseph's Joseph's a hero. Let's face it. Yeah. Do you? So I'm interested. You, you've kind of mentioned a couple of times we're just uncomfortable with it. I see this coming. So I I lead corporate worship a lot, either kind of uh, in various settings, and um, s sometimes uh, to kind of borrow the phrase from a, another writer, it, it kind of feels like we're reading the periodic table of elements versus like saying the pledge of allegiance. Like we have to just sit there and just have truth about God sort of thrown at us. And we all sit there and go, that's so true. That's so true. true. That's so true. true. And yes. Yeah. And that you, you see, um, 
even, you know, examples, I, I'm pulling this one for some reason, fourth century, a, a lady named Egeria sort of goes to Jerusalem and she describes worship as this like over the top experience, you know, and that kind of touches a lot of different places more than just, um, reading the periodic yeah. table of elements like how does yeah. this how does this maybe yeah. inform how we worship because i think there's a real danger it obviously again i want to hit the other side in just a second and say but there was a fall and our emotions yep. can't rule us but for yep. now my question yep. to you is how how do we how do we engage our emotions in a worship setting and in our lives so that we're not uncomfortable with feeling angry or feeling joy or shedding tears like we're just not shying away from some of that what are some of the barriers why do people do that yeah i i think i think that's that's a great point and again i will you know my my friends that come from you know pentecostal backgrounds or some of the urban pastors that i have in classes some of their traditions let's face it are uh uh better or more they're lapping us they're yeah, lapping us they, they they are this is something that's part of their culture and tradition in yes. a way that um it may not be for you know for me and you know kind of the um i don't know northern european ancestry folks that you know and i grew up in the midwest and it it this was the church that i went to it was a great church and i learned a lot about the bible there it, it gave me a great legacy but emotion as, as you say the, um the worship was not particularly emotional. Um, I think the thing for me is whenever I want, I'm doing something that I think people are going to have a little bit of a hard time with, or they're going to have a problem with it. I just try to help them see it coming straight out of the Bible. Um, and um, particularly if I think hopefully these folks are going to be valuing scripture. And so, you know, a lot of those things you were saying, Dave, um, you're going to just see that in the Psalms. And the psalmist is so emotive. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, Psalm 13, the, 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 these laments, yeah. the sorrows, you know, um, uh, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Yeah. Um, and then Psalm 22, which Jesus most famously um, quotes on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and I think some people feel like, yeah, but, you know, Jesus didn't really feel that. He was just appropriating Psalm 22 <laughs> in order to kind of make all those connections because they're going to be trading, uh, you know, you know, gambling about his robe and all this other stuff. And there's some great stuff there. Sure. But I think Jesus was feeling what he is saying. I think yes. he, he has a, certainly a person of integrity there. So when we look at the Psalms, and for those, anybody that's having troubles with this, and I know that there are some, I'll call them some sort of pseudo heretical um, perspectives out there on, you know, worship, worship needs to not be kind of emotive um, or, um, or, you know, some people in some uh, streams of evangelical Christianity, they talk about the, the feminization of, of the church yeah. and worship. And, you know, I, I, I don't even feel comfortable with be, and because the, the feminization, what's behind it is the emotionalness of it. And I think these people haven't read their Bible. <laughs> they they yeah. don't realize that, that, you know, Jesus and the Gospels and particularly, I mean, it's all over the Old Testament, the First Testament. I love how you call it that, the First Testament, but particularly the Psalms. Yes. And, and, and Psalms are 150 things we can say to God. Uh, yes. You know, uh, and... 
and I think that they model for us an appropriate love, intensity, joyfulness, sorrow, um, anger, um, just uh, the, the, the full array of emotions we see in the Psalms. And as, as we teach the Psalms and as we read the Psalms and we appropriate them, we will be modeling for our, our worshiping spiritual communities what this looks like in a healthy way. Yeah, I love, I love the, as you sort of survey the scriptures and talk about these different emotions that God experiences, um, just this full orbed, you know, if we are made in God's image, if we are yeah. as believers being moment by moment transformed into his likeness and the likeness of Christ by the spirit, then in some measure, we should be experiencing some of these yeah. at, at different times and in different ways. But like a yeah. whole person would, would maybe manifest more similarly as we grow. I, I'm concerned if, if all we ever in uh, it, it sort of, uh, model is something you know if if all i ever feel is hatred about stuff i'm yeah i'm sort of yeah. sappy and all so talk a little bit about how the fall has maybe affected our emotions and how maybe emotions could lead us astray because you're so balanced in your writing but i, I just would love for the audience to get some of this from you so what how how do we how do we steward our emotions there's the question how do we steward our emotions faithfully yeah and that's that's a great question and i think um, everybody's going to be a little bit different. Um, some people may kind of err on the side of stoicism, sort of kind of a hyper controlled, you know, never expressing emotions, never talking about emotions. And other, there may be some other folks kind of on the other end that are, um, you know, they, they, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're never grounded because they seem kind of out of control. And, you know, we, we do see that this in scripture. I mean, you know, you look at, I don't know, Peter in the, the gospels. And, you know, at one point in time, he, you know, you know, don't, don't, don't wash my feet and then wash my every part of me. And then, you know, you're the Christ. And then he's like, oh yeah, but you don't have to suffer. And then Jesus has to call him, you know, well, he calls him Satan. Like what's up with, with... so we see, you know, when someone like Peter, this full orbed sense of um, this guy is just, he's really emotional. And there's times when where this the strength of his emotion, you know, ends up being incredibly useful. In fact, to such a way that Jesus says, you know, Simon, you're gonna be you're gonna be Peter, um, you yeah. know, Petros, you're the rock. And you know, if there's gonna be if Jesus had one disciple, right, Peter, and it was this really out of control emotion guy. And so the thing I would want to tell people is it's okay to be emotional, um, but we are fallen. And I mean, the, the, one of the things I, when I speak, I often like to ask, you know, how, raise your hand if you're a sinner. I'm just curious. Let's, I'm just kind of a sample of like, how many of you guys are sinners? And, I, and then I go, you know, I usually say something like, okay, so about half you guys are sinners. All right, that's good. That's, a, that's what I'm used to. And it's like, no, wait a minute. I think, according to my Bible, I think we're all sinners. And that means, you know, I've got some news for you. Sinners sin. Yeah, and that hopefully that's not a shock. And so on a daily or certainly weekly basis, you're going to probably need to be asking people forgiveness. 
you know, family members, I, you know, I've had to do this with, obviously with my family, you know, they experience this a lot, but my colleagues and other folks that I've, you know, somehow hurt. And so sometimes when we use, we display our emotions in unhealthy ways, we're going to hurt people and, and they, and emotions can be hard to control, but, um, but the Bible expects us to be able to control them. Um, and we are called, like God is in the Old Testament, slow to anger. We are called to control them. We won't always do that perfectly. And praise God for grace. And yeah. when we, we blow it, we we just apologize and ask forgiveness. And, and we'll learn from that, hopefully. What would you say to someone that, based on background, experience, what they had modeled for them uh, in their home, say they, they, they struggle with anger or... Um, Excuse me, I'm taking a phone call now. Apparently, no uh, if they struggle if they struggle with anger, or um, yeah, excessive sorrow, or um, sort of a maybe sh shallow, superficial joy. I, yep. I, but joy out of the spirit. Like, how are you doing? Fine, fine, fine. Everything's yeah. fine. No, we all, we all know people like that. Yeah, I think. I think um, as we get involved in community, and I'm talking about real deep community where, you know, you know, so that's, it's not going to be just going to church. Again, we got to go to church. That's a good thing. You're, you're going to, you're going to hear good sermons, good teaching. Great. Um, going to Sunday school or being involved with a, a, you know, a smaller group of people, that's also good, but some kind of like small group, um, people that can really know you. And some of this stuff can get worked through in those contexts, but, for folks that you know have deep anger issues, they it's probably good to see a counselor on some level. And yeah. you know, hopefully the folks at your churches can recommend good people or maybe you have friends. I think I've been in counseling um and I have a lot of close family friends who have been blessed by that. Um and I think you know we're all works in progress, but God does something as we're involved in his community. And I think it, it's good to be involved with a, a Sunday school class or a small group or a, some kind of a support group, maybe an accountability group where you can talk about those things. But for a lot of folks, just talking to a professional, a, a therapist, a counselor, a psychiatrist who can help you work on those things, um, that's that's going to be pretty important. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's so many different things, but I think, I think, um, and, and there's fortunately the stigma associated with seeking counseling is not as severe as it was 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah. And I think that's a really, a really good thing in the church. So I, I have seen, um, so in my context, uh, the, so we have this history of, of Wesleyan class meetings and band meetings were kind of similar to some of the things you were describing, essentially small groups but just the need of another or others in this this yeah. idea of corporate. I've, I've seen folks get buried in information or personality tests or Enneagram tests, which I'm all I'm all about all of that stuff. It's very helpful. It's been helpful to me personally, yeah. Um, yeah. but it, it can also become a, an obsession. Right. And it's, it's sort of this hopeless thing versus mm -hmm. in community, there can tend to be a. I don't know. The, the optimism of grace is the thing that's coming to my mind because I'm I've got Methodist heritage. But the sort of this idea that uh, one of our one of our former uh, somebody we interviewed said, "Me too." Now let's move through. 
like how what's the way forward like yeah. i don't think god doesn't want you to experience anger he just doesn't want you to be an out of the spirit jerk especially to the people that probably love you the most you know he doesn't yeah. want you in, in the privacy of your home he doesn't he wants you to be gentle and slow model his slow to anger posture to, to your children to your wife to your yeah. students in your case my case so um yeah I, I guess maybe let me ask you this in your life what has been who are who have been some of the key players that have sort of helped you on this this journey uh to growth yeah and it's 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 been a long journey and you know still like i said we're i'm still a work in progress and i think yeah yeah no arrival language here right yeah. yeah yeah so um you know my parents um you know I, they were they were willing to punish me when 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 i smashed that chair into my brother's room bedroom door because i was so mad at him you know and so i you know i think my parents were willing to help me you know as as you know i was what 10 or something um so i had friends in college that could hold me accountable to words that i spoke in anger and frustration or hurt um and then you know my family does that my wife does that more than anybody god you know i praise god for her um, and the ways that she helps me my my sons hold me accountable um but I think it's going to be important for, you know, in, in for us who, you know, whether it's in our churches, our small groups, or our jobs, for those of us who have, you know, jobs out there in, in businesses or schools or um, other um, um, other organizations that we're involved with, people that can know us well enough. And for us to be able to say to them, hey, if you see me do something that just doesn't seem right, please, um, ask me about it or give me some feedback because I'm, I'm a flawed person and I need that kind of feedback. And I think that, um, that often doesn't happen, but when, when people love us enough to speak truth to us, man, that's a gift and it just doesn't happen enough. And so we need to thank people. Um, even sometimes people are going to say things in ways that, um, may not be easy to hear and it may be because they're they're just they're so frustrated or fed up or they're angry at us that they they lash out but to, you know to be able to listen for some truth and how god you know god god can speak through a donkey um to balaam god can speak to us in a variety of ways um and even yeah. some people that we'd be quite surprised by even even saying things to us in a way that may not be good or ideal but we yeah. need to be able to listen to truth um, from some surprising sources because God is always speaking to us and we just need to be able to listen. You close the book. Um, this is my last question for you today. I don't, uh, you close the book with this chapter on, uh, you know, first John four, eight, God is love. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of folks look at the scriptures and they, they see the new Testament and they see this manifestation of Christ, his his self-sacrifice, his once for all, you know, sacrifice for us. And they say, you know, God is love. It's so easy to see. And yet when they look at the, the first testament that, you know, God, the, the first testament that God maybe is different than this, the New Testament God. What would you say to that? And what would you say to someone that maybe maybe they they I think a lot of folks practically live like God probably isn't going to come through for them. Yeah. That God probably is just waiting for them 
for a variety of reasons. Again, you know, background things, but that God is just, he's just on the, he's constant, he's perpetually disappointed in them. And yet yeah. you close with this beautiful chapter, God is love. What's, what's yeah. the word that you would share with that person today? Yeah, I think, um, and again, we've all experienced, you know, a lot of times in our families, but, you know, in a variety, <laughs> driving down the freeway, we, you know, lately it seems like I've, I've experienced a lot of angry, angry drivers. People get angry at me for a variety of reasons. We've all experienced negative emotions coming at us. Um, and it's easy to think that, you know, all those, are neg you know, and all those negative emotions that our parents, you know, mothers, fathers, grandparents, et cetera, were feeling. Um, and God is going to just feel the same way towards us, you know, on a factor of 10 or something. Um, again, the, the thing that was amazing to me is looking at all these, even kind of the negative emotions, you know, the God's hatred, God's jealousy, um, God's anger, but was just to see that behind what was motivating his hatred and, and his, his jealousy and his um, anger was just always love. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I was kind of pulling the, the rabbit out of the hat on that one. It was very, very clear that it was love that was motivating that. Yes. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I mean, we all do struggle with this and particularly those of us who have, you know, done things that are just, you know, let's face it, really, really not good. And we, we've all done things that are really not good, but some of us, some of us may have fallen into some sins that, um, and it's kind of tragic that in, in, in the church or in Christian culture, there are certain sins that are just far worse than others. And we could talk about that another day. But particularly those of, those of us who have fallen into those types of sins can feel like God just must really hate me. I just, you know, keep reading Psalm 23. Um, yes. You know, there, and, and look at how does Jesus respond when when people are repentant? Jesus is shockingly merciful and compassionate. Um, particularly, yes. there's just a number of women um, that Jesus interacts with. You know, the Samaritan woman, the woman caught in adultery, um, the woman that kind of anoints Jesus's feet with um, perfume and washes them with her hair. You know, there's all these women that for one reason or another is kind of caught up in sin in a massive way. And just look at how amazingly compassionate Jesus is. And again, Jesus is God in human form. Jesus is the same as the God of the Old Testament. They're, 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 it's the same God. Yes. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, people need to be in places where they can hear God speaking to them. And sometimes they can hear it, hopefully directly from God's word, but maybe in the context of close brothers and sisters in Christ, small groups, family members. But, um, I, I, you know, I just keep telling them, go back to Jesus read the gospels and read about how God loves um, particularly people that um, have kind of fallen into sin hard. And for me, that just gives me a lot of hope. Me too. Dr. David Lamb on the podcast today, what's the best way to uh, connect with you? Um, well, I've got a, uh, a website, um, davidtlamb.com, but um, email um, dlamb at missio.edu. Um, if people have questions, um, those are the two best ways, probably. Thanks a lot, Dave. It was great uh, chatting with you. And once again, I just highly recommend that you uh, check out his book, The Emotions of God, and there'll be a link to it uh, in the show notes. Thanks for joining us this week on The Monday Christian.
Well, my thanks to both Davids that took care of that this week. Uh, great conversation, just again, on the emotions of God. And I hope that it was encouraging to you, inspiring, challenging, that you'll pick up David's book, The Emotions of God. Um, I don't know how much you read. Maybe, uh, I threw this out in my Facebook feed a little while ago, and some people said they read 100 books a year, others maybe just a handful, right? Uh, but I would just encourage you, as we go into this fall, and I almost look at the fall as the start of a new year as opposed to January 1st, but begin developing a list of key books that you would want to um, help you grow in your walk with God. And I would certainly add this one that David Lamb has written to this list. And so anyways, we'll talk to you all again next week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. To support our vision and find new ways to put your faith into action throughout the week, visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.